Hello, I'm Richard Fieldhouse and welcome to the NASGP's podcast, The Art of GP Locoming. And today I'm delighted to be back again with Judith Harvey over quite a break over most of 2020. Judith, really good to have you back. It's a pleasure. So you've agreed to talk to us about the article you've written, Judith, based on the two documentaries regarding the coronavirus pandemic. So do you want to tell us a little bit more about this? Uh, yes, certainly. The um, the article really focuses on um, a documentary called 76 Days, which was filmed in two hospitals in Wuhan um, and covers the 76 days when Wuhan was in total lockdown. Uh, so it's there are a few outside shots, but not very many. It's really a fly on the wall in a Chinese hospital, which is remarkable uh, that it should exist at all, I think. Um, and I see no reason to suspect that it is anywhere, anything other than what it appears to be, as I said, a fly on the wall documentary. Um, it was filmed... Uh, sort of not exactly undercover, but by two local filmmakers who were um, supported by a guy who was born in China, but moved to the States to do a postgraduate degree in molecular biology, uh, became a film director. And he has directed a number of documentaries which deal with sensitive topics in China, like uh, family with a gay son, that kind of thing. Um, he, he actually has been in prison for several months in China when he was trying to film one of those underground house churches that are where people meet in secret um, without the permission of the government. Um, and he was actually in Shanghai when Wuhan locked down and was determined to to know what was going on. Um, couldn't go himself, so he arranged for these filmmakers to go. And it's absolutely fascinating, as I said, because there you are inside a, a Chinese hospital with people who are not bothered by the fact that there's a camera um, and what is illuminating is how like, say, a documentary, the same peak of the pandemic from the Royal Free was people up against the same problems, experiencing the same emotions. Um, the most notable thing is that all the people in the hospital in Wuhan are in full hazmat gear. And that's when the British <laughs> British hospitals were making do and mending and even using bin bags as, as PPE. Um, they were prepared and they had the kit. Uh, but you know, their, their compassion, you can see it. Uh, and I think we perhaps judge China on its government, which... <laughs> is not a government that one associates with compassion um, and forget that people are people. Yes, that's a good point. And that's what comes out so strongly in these 
in this documentary, isn't it? The 76 Days, which is the fly on the wall uh, one that's shot almost entirely within a hospital, for one of four hospitals in Wuhan. Um, it's these, the staff, the medical staff, covered from head to toe in in hazmat suits with masks on. You can't see them, but you can hear them. And it's that compassion that comes out, that humanity, that caring, that 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 part of human nature that transcends any culture. That's about looking after family and the constantly referring to each other as grandma and granddad and auntie and uh, all these very familial names coming out. Um, And yes, we hear a lot and we're hearing more and more as we as we head into sort of April uh, 2021 about um, Chinese politics and this sort of suppression of the press and media and everything else that goes with that but yes through here you have you're seeing the actual people uh, in a time of crisis pulling together uh, being loving and caring i think that's very striking and, and and i have visited a couple of chinese hospitals in a smallish town when we were there when was that well more than 10 years ago um and they were pretty basic they were nearer a hospital in rural Africa or in a small African town than they were a hospital uh, in London, say, or in any district general hospital. But that hosp- those hospitals in Wuhan were looking the same pretty well as a Western ho- hospital, weren't they? Yes, very much so. Um, all the sort of same levels of sophistication that you'd expect in any Western hospital. I mean, all the, the regular ICU monitoring equipment, the only thing really that was different, obviously, was the with the, with the signs written in Chinese uh, with the occasional sort of Western words thrown in there. Um in the first documentary, the 54 Days one, they were talking about Wuhan as really trying to vie for third place in terms of being China's third major city and is in fact uh, China's uh, transport hub, um, which is actually probably not a good title to have when you're in the middle of a pandemic. The, the, uh, London being a transport hub of uh, airlines was regarded as a terrific thing. Up until a year ago, and and it became a risk factor. Something else you picked yeah. up on in your article was the abundance of, uh, speaking of technology, the abundance of mobile phones uh, in the hospital. Yes, yes, and like like here, um, absolutely vital for communication uh, for patients with anybody else, uh, their relatives and friends and so on. And uh, that sad scene of of the uh, hospital functionary in her office with this bag of mobile phones belonging to dead patients, um, and one of them ringing and ringing and ringing with incoming messages because uh, uh, from people who didn't realize that its owner was dead. It was very moving and and, and they obviously found it moving too. Yes, it was a very poignant part of the documentary when they showed a large plastic box with a label on it, describing it as a box for items from the deceased. And uh, 
in containing lots of bags, each bag containing um, a few small possessions, but everyone with a mobile phone. Uh, but it was the fact that this box was just overflowing with bags and bags and bags of, of mobile phones um, of all different shapes and sizes and types. Uh, and just showing how unexpected it was that there would be this huge wave of deaths happening in the unit. It's, uh, it's remarkable. And, and, and the, the, the comments um, in the other films where they were interviewing people who could be interviewed um, uh, about it and, and about people who were working in hospitals and so on knew perf- perfectly clear that person-to-person um, uh, transmission was hospital. And I think one of the uh, uh, people said, one of the doctors in Wuhan, every, everyone knew it was human human con- transmission, even the fool would know. And yet that was suppressed. Um, and you saw the, the TV news broadcast to the Chinese to the nation um, and what they said and what people you could see in Wuhan and what people in Wuhan were saying were at total odds, which of course has been to an extent what has happened sometimes here. Um, it's uh, the, the reality has been um, glossed over for the sake of encouraging the nation, but there was, they were suffering such pain and you know, their anxiety was so palpable. Um, the people who were just trying to find any way they could of getting the information out, uh, managing to contact Western colleagues who they'd met at meetings and things like that and saying, please, please, please um, take note of this um, uh, uh, so that even if we can't save people here, um, you can you can save people in your country that get it known worldwide. That was you know, that anxiety and desperation was so palpable. And as as somebody said in I think it was the ITV program, um, a Chinese uh, I can't remember where he is based, but of, of Chinese um, origin. That pre-January a year ago, China could have done better, and after January, the rest of the world should have done better. I thought that was. I thought that summed it up. <laughs> so, where the seventy-six days documentary is about life inside the Wuhan hospital as it happened, the first documentary, the fifty-four days one, was more of a one that is more about the kind of the West's response uh, to or, or a Western view of what happened in China. Uh, rather than a Chinese one itself. And it goes much more into uh, the story of how information has taken a long, long time to come out and even some misinformation, but even some sort of almost kind of government suppression and almost sort of totalitarian response. And um, did I hear you hinting in this that there is something like that might or hints of that possibly happening even in the UK? Well, I, I, I think, yes, I have. I mean, I think uh, the, the um, press briefings have, for whatever reason and whatever motivation, have glossed over 
the seriousness of this, particularly at the beginning. It's only in pretty recently when they finally published uh, the the kind of roadmap for the lockdown, uh, which ended on Monday, um, which is very slow, and it was made clear that before any opening up, any at the stages of opening up, various criteria will have to be met about um, the level of infection um, and uh, and the. Um, resilience of the population, uh, now there seems to be much more realisation at government le level that actually taking it carefully that, it's, that if there were to be another lockdown, and I wouldn't count it out, um, uh, you know, the government would be in big trouble that the reputation undeserved for managing the the pandemic in this country, but still uh, felt by many people, um, would would be trashed if there were another lockdown. And they do realise that that is possible because of uh, variants which are worrying variants. There are going to be unworrying variants. There certainly are, and there are some quite worrying variants, and there are likely to be more. So the future isn't uncertain and taking it slowly and checking before any further opening up uh, is, is wise. I think you certainly get a sense of tension here from the UK government about keeping their powder dry, wanting to sort of do the liberal Western thing and give people their freedoms and juxtapose that. I guess, against what China are doing, which is much more of a totalitarian imposition of um, and, and clamp down on people's rights with, with laws and, and really suppressing information that they believe is all for the right reasons, um, which, which horrifies us here in the West. But hey, guess what? Look at the uh, rates of infection and the uh, death rates, certainly those that are being published anyway. Um, and actually countries like China, uh, which have very suppressive regimes compared to us, have, have been faring much, much better from um, the pandemic than than obviously, than obviously we have in the UK. Well, people from that point of view seem to have stopped uh, quoting Sweden, saying, look how Sweden ha hasn't locked down and look how well they're doing. Actually, they're doing pretty badly <laughs> now. It may have looked good for a while, but not any longer. The whole thing is very mysterious. Only look at a country like India. Um, it's you know, there may be very many unreported deaths, but still, um, it, there are clearly, relative to the the population, far fewer excess deaths um, than there are in other countries. Why is that? Is it because it's a young population? Is it because of underreporting? Both of those are probably a factor. But the gap is so big, there must be something going on, and nobody knows yet what it is whether it's genetic, whether it's uh, previous exposure to coronaviruses um, and, the, and through them the acquisition of enough immunity to, um, to not suffer um, clinically to any degree. Who knows? Nobody knows at the moment, but a lot of people are trying to find out. 
because a lot of the theories about why some countries have suffered very badly and others much less, you know, there are you can pair countries up and say, well, these two countries are much the same. Their politics aren't that different, but. Some countries have done very well and others haven't. Why on earth is that? We don't know. So there's so much we don't know. So much more than we knew a year ago, but still. Yes, there's going to be an awful lot of data to unpick, isn't there? Not bearing in mind countries uh, like Brazil at the moment. I mean, we're heading into April at the moment and and, uh, the death rates in Brazil are heading up to almost 4,000 deaths a day. Yeah, yes. And we, we've been looking at the pictures of Manaus because we were in Manaus in November 19. So not that long before all this started, probably had already started in China. And, you know, remembering all the people saucering in the, in the, in the square and all the bus and think of that city uh, now with all those dead people and uh, terrible, terrible. Very sad. You wonder how people are surviving because you can't get out of Manaus. Well, you can by plane and by boat. So obviously the pandemic has been a big preoccupation for you, for everyone. But is there anything apart from that that you are turning your mind mind around to as we um, sort of head off into the spring and the summer and slowly, slowly starting to put the pandemic behind us? I I think one has to be uh, retain one's interest because this is going to be uh, (laughs) probably uh, unless there's some other mega disaster, the, the, the feature that dominates our lives and what we can do for the rest of this year, probably next year, maybe all the years that I've got left. Um, and I think, I, but the trouble with the daily newspaper or rolling news on television, they're looking for headlines and they pick things up and um, it's ill-considered. I mean, the, I suspect that the whole AstraZeneca thing is a you know, is a story which started with a, an unfortunate um, kind of assumption made by Macron and by a German paper. And, you know, it's a story that got gets legs and it's like man bites dog. When one man has bitten a dog, suddenly there are lots of man bites dog stories. And, you know, it's, it's good headlines. And that's very tedious um and uh, the things that i have listened to are, are the, the tim harford's more or less program and, and recently the how to vaccinate the world which comes to an end next week because they are considered um they they are not um news bites um and he's you know he's had Bill Gates and Anthony Fauci and some very notable people. So this is a tale of two halves on Radio 4? On on Radio 4, yes. Um, Because you you get a considered view. You're not getting something which has been sub edited to look uh, to attract the attention of potential readers of the paper, whichever paper it is. Where he takes a hard look behind the facts and data. Yes, yes, and um, yeah, and what they actually mean, and uh, you know, whether the government has 
um, whether what the government has said about statistics actually holds up when you look at it. Um, that kind of thing, which I think is immensely helpful. Since uh, since since uh, the government spokespeople tend to play fast and loose with statistics, either they don't understand them or they've grabbed the wrong one or they've made it up. Well, therein lies the rub, really. You've got people like Tim Harford with shows like More or Less, which provide a big, deep dive into the hardcore facts behind a story, which come across sometimes perhaps to many as, as a rather anodyne, rather rather dull. And then you've got the hugely exciting emotional type headlines, which are so much more appealing and tap much more into the zeitgeist and much more about telling stories. And you know, it's that we're kind of working up against. And you know, recently in the news, we've been talking about the AstraZeneca vaccine and a big story being about the blood clots. I mean, again, it's it's a very emotional headline. Um, but when you actually look at the data, it tells a very different story. And, and uh, they were applying the precautionary principle very well. Fine, good principle. But um, half a dozen people dying of blood clots stop in vaccinating people, and how many hundreds will have suffered COVID? And I don't know if you've come across, uh, there was a series of three programmes on Radio 4 on, I think it's Tuesday at nine o'clock, Lessons on a Crisis with uh, Evan Davis, who used to do the Today programme at one stage. Um, And one was about uh, um, leadership, um, I'm trying to remember what the title of the first one was, Preparedness, Leadership and Community. Um, And he had, on each of them, he had a a group of people putting their views, people with different views. Uh, They were very interesting. Uh, So lessons on a crisis and for thinking about the future, very valuable. Well, Judith, thank you so much for joining me again on this podcast. Really good to have you uh, on the podcast again and really looking forward to speaking to you again soon. Yes, good. Okay, look forward to it. It's nice to be back. Bye-bye. Okay, cheerio.